Well, welcome back to another episode of Talking to Unicorns. My name is Carlos, and I have a great guest here who goes by the name of Nazanin. Uh, I think she... Let me know if you're back. Yeah, I think... Okay. uh, Yeah, for some reason, my Zoom disconnected. No worries, no worries. Still learning Zoom. I tried to close the other window, and the whole thing closed. It's okay. Well, how you doing? We we are here. We're here. How, you, how how are you? How's your Thursday? Thursday's been awesome today. Uh, although it's very warm. I'm not sure if you all are in California. I live in Cupertino, so it's been a pretty warm day today here. Kind of tough to work from home. So I got myself today and went outside to the yard and tried to work from outside. For some reason, my garden is cooler than my um so it's been a very nice beautiful day uh to now and i'm glad that i'm here well i'm glad that you are taking the time to come and talk to us and i trust me i think a majority of us are in california we are dealing with this beautiful summer weather that (laughs) you're describing and and yeah this is what we have to look forward to for the next couple of months hopefully um but Glad to hear you, you're you doing well. How, how have you been doing with quarantine? Well, uh, I guess a little bit of struggling. And I think anyone says who's not a struggling, they're lying. I guess we are all struggling a little bit. We, everyone is under pressure. What I try to do is try to focus more on things that makes me happy and be less hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist and I want everything always to be in the best shape. And sometimes I have to learn that that's not possible. So I guess quarantine was one time that teach me that, you know, just step out of your quarantine version of yourself and try to be more kind to yourself, be more relaxed and accept that you can't be a hundred percent performing all the time. Um, That was a great lesson I took from this quarantine, just to accept myself and my performance and try to shape it through the time i guess i think you and everyone like i said uh, i think we're if we take one positive out of this and i think it's turned into a great situation you know like yes what we're doing what what's going on turned the world upside down kind of situation you know but if we can take a positive out of it I think it's worth it. And like yourself, you, you learned how to be more patient. You learned to let go a little bit, you know, you're not fully control of everything. So I think that's admirable. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Naz. How, 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 tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started. So specifically for computer science, I mean, I got into bachelor degree, computer science version, which I did not like to go at the beginning. I always wanted to go to a different major. I wanted to be an astronaut from childhood and I wanted to take aerospace. That was my first option. The second option was medical engineering because I love to work in hospitals. Um, But I ended up in computer science. Um, So maybe luck, (laughs) I don't know. At the beginning, I really didn't like my major. So I just went with the flow and studied and, you know, tried to do my best, tried to be, you know, positive and with what I end up being. But after my bachelor degree, I really got in love with programming. I guess the first time I felt in love was first time I could create something and I I could really interact with I create. And I guess like when you program, 
you're really creating things, you're a builder, and you build things that people can interact with, or you can interact with them directly, and it shapes people's lives, and that moment was the moment that, like, I was like, aha, like, now I'm happy with what I'm doing, so I, I came to U.S. for my master's degree in Iowa University. It was 2012. Um, then I joined my master's and I, after a year, I joined a company in California, started my first job here um, as a software engineer. That time I was a backend engineer and I used to work with Java. Um, but after a couple of years, you know, my career path was, it wasn't like just, you know, a straight line up. It was like ups and downs and going different routes. It wasn't that, you know, very traditional notion of ladder that you go up and up and up. Uh, I guess it was all around the place. It was more like a baby situation. Um, and then last year, I guess a year and a half ago, time flies, I joined Netflix. Um, and I'm pretty happy. I, I can talk a lot more about my journey, how I shaped myself from a back-end engineer and I moved to front-end and I kind of experienced the whole part of the stack. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very long journey. I can talk through it if you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause a lot of us here are aspiring recruiters. So we, I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm speaking about myself. I, I have probably zero clue about what back end front end and when it comes to engineering, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, Basically, whatever you can see on a website or whatever you can see in an application, the front side of it is people is the things that people can see, like a button or or you could look at your Zoom window. You can see a lot of buttons and interactions. You can do things. So that's a front end part of the application. It's things that people can really see with their eyes and they can interact with either a mouse or a key, uh, keyboard or any like voice interaction. So any sort of human computer interaction that you have that's facing the user, that's basically the front end of your part. So front side basically. And all of these interactions talk to core functions and which usually those function does not stay on the front side. They're usually, I don't know, you guys have notion of surveys. They reside on one survey. And then you make a call to that server, say, hey, user want to leave Zoom. And then the logic happens, where you say, on the backend part. It's like, imagine a car. Like, you have your steering wheel that you round the steering wheel. That's the front end of your car. But the actual things doesn't happen in the steering wheel. It happens, like, on the core part of the machine. And you can imagine that as a backend side. Now it's getting more complex because this is very, we can't like distinct a software or a machine into two parts and say front and a back. But usually this is the notion that people use, um, you know, the back end people work on the core parts, like more logical parts. And then they serve that functionality to the front end people, which they build interfaces that people can interact with. Uh, hopefully I could explain this as simple as possible, but if anyone has questions, I can answer it even further. No, no, I, I, I think that's great. And so like what you're saying is that there's two different areas where engineers would concentrate in, uh, computer science engineers would concentrate front end and back end. We can, that's one of the groupings that we can do. I mean, there are many groupings that we can put engineers in, but that's like one of the majors grouping. Yes, we can say 
they work on the backhand side and the frontend side. Um, that would be one. But as software getting more and more complex, these sort of distinctions kind of fading away by time because there are more things imagining. Now we have a middle layer also. There are engineers who work in the middle layer as software going even more complex day to day. But that is the simplest way of distinction engineers by what they do is backend and frontend. Got it. Okay, so th that's great information. And the reason why I asked is because let's say if myself or any other as a recruiter, we're like, you know, hey, we need you to recruit for, you know, back-end engineers so you know we're not going to we know exactly now it's like what specifies what's a back-end engineer um but you said you did both correct correct now is that now what do you like better front-end or back-end i guess i like both it depends on what i do um even i'm a front-end engineer right now but i still sometimes go and work on the back-end side we also have another notion of engineers. We call them full stack engineers, which they know both front end and back end. They can basically work on any side of the software. And um, I guess I consider myself to be a full stack because I know I have the knowledge of the back end and the knowledge of the front end. One way to identify if you're back end and front end, you can, there are certain skills that these people need to work with. Uh, like we say, front-end people have to know JavaScript. Back-end people have to know Java language. So identifying your skills can map you to like which position fits you the best. Got it. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Now, I want to go back and I want to I ask you about how it was like when you were interviewing for, for jobs, when you were looking for a company to work for, and you're fresh out of out of you know university. Uh, you got your master's degree now. Uh, how was that? Um, how was that journey looking for a job? How was interviewing, submitting your resume, talking to recruiters or suitors? I guess every time you search for a job during your career, your experience change because you're changing. Your level of knowledge is changing. Your expectation is changing. So I can say my experience out of college was 100% different than my last job search. And I can actually contrast them with you so you can see actually how different was it. So when I actually started to interview out of college, I applied, I have actually the notebook still as a memory that how hard was it to find a job, but I applied to 137 companies all over the US. And out of those 137, I don't have the exact number, but I got around 50-ish screening, which is the first step of interview. So basically the recruiter calls you and say, hey, like, I like you and I wanna talk more about you. And from that 57 or 50-ish um, screening, it kind of like cut in half. It went to 20 first step interviews. And from that 21st step interviews, it ended up to being, I think, five last step interviews, which was on-site. And then from those on-site, I got three offers. So imagine 170 something applying ended up to be getting three jobs. So what I always recommend people out of college is just apply, apply, apply to like as much, as many jobs as possible. 
and because you're out of college, you don't have much experience and you don't have expectations because you can't have expectations basically when you're out of college. You want to go join a company that it fits you and it's kind of companies that's the other side. Companies have more expectations than you having expectations. So the table is the other round. Um, so I recommend people to really apply as, as many companies that they think it fits them because it's give them more opportunity to get callbacks from them. So that experience was, it's kind of was a funnel that went in from applying to like 170 and then it went all the way to three offers, which one was um, in San Francisco. It was a company that works on a content management system, basically something like Wix. I don't know if you guys know Wix. Uh, you can build websites with it with no oh. knowledge of programming. And yes, we were yes. like coding that, that platform that you can build things with it. Um, so that was my first job experience, first job searching experience. But the last one, I never ever searched for a job. So job come to me, <laughs> you see the difference. So I went, I used to go to a lot of events. Um, and then in one of those events, I actually met my hiring manager. And we used to talk a lot. I go to these recurring events and then it, we talk and we talk about Netflix. I talk about the company I work in and what are our challenges. We try to brainstorm things. But after a year and a half, he reached out to me and say, hey, you remember me? We used to talk in all of those meetups. Um, would you join Netflix? And that time I was like, um, I was in the middle of some projects in my current job and I didn't want to leave because I wanted to see things going through. I put a lot of efforts in the, all of the initiatives I ran there. So I was like, not now, but I may join in a year. So it took me actually two years to join Netflix after the first time he reached out to me. So you can see the, the difference in experience like the first time that you apply. The second time I applied for a job, I didn't apply for 170 companies. I actually applied into 10. And then the next day I got a call from someone. I went to the first call. I did the on-site interview. I got an offer and that's it. Uh, and it was done. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess every time you interview, your experience changes. And it really depends on the industry. It really depends on how many people are out there. It really depends also on the economy. How good is it? How many companies are looking for a job? But I can say, as you go through your career, people that are in different stages of their career, their expectations change and the way that they're searching for job changes. Wow. So like you went from applying to over a hundred plus jobs to being sought after, like basically being, you know, like someone came up to be like, Hey, I want, I want you. But what I love most about that is that you guys kept in contact or like, you know, that network was there and then he still reached out to you maybe two, three years later, you know, it's like, Hey, remember me? Like I, I still, so that, that's, that's great. Um, I love to hear that. Now, my question now is going from the 120, what, is there anything that you would do differently when you first got into it? When I was out of college? Yes. I think I would still apply to as many jobs as possible. The, the reason is I really didn't know my expectations that time. I really didn't know what I want to be. Do I want to be a backend engineer? Do I want to be a fountain engineer? And I wanted to expose myself to anything coming because I wanted to learn. Um, so I guess I would not do 
differently. I will still apply as many as possible. I guess now I will negotiate. That's Nego what I do. Because when I was out of college, I would just accept whatever they tell me because I just wanted the job. And I didn't think I should negotiate. Uh, I didn't think I'm even in the position to negotiate, but I was. Uh, so I guess for anyone looking for a job or even recruiters always, you know, encourage the engineer, especially out of college, to think about the offer that they're getting, to think really deeply, is that what they want? And, you know, spark that there is negotiation space between the employee and the person who's taking the job. And if they negotiate, they're not going to lose the offer. Um, I see this most of out of college students that I mentor also have the same problem. They think, oh my God, if I tell the recruiter, I'm going to lose the job. But no, you will actually be valued even more because you think, they think that you're more thoughtful about what you're going to work at. So I guess for me, if I go back, I will definitely negotiate. Negotiation. That's, that's something that I, I, even myself, I am a little fearful of because I, I feel the same way. Like, you know, like, Oh, I don't know if I'm in a position to negotiate, you know, but that's great to hear. And I'll definitely gonna, going to look into, into negotiation, unless you have some advice on negotiation. I just what finished a course on negotiation and I'm writing a blog post about it. So I, <laughs> a lot. I highly recommend Actually, the course is on Masterclass, if, if you guys are familiar with it. Um, but it's an amazing course by Chris Wass that he was a former FBI negotiator. And he has this amazing course about it. There's a lot of techniques that you can practice and use. And I'm still learning even. But, but yeah, it's, it's a great skill. Definitely, definitely. And I want to go into your interview, like your, your in-person interview and how and how that was, how was the flow of that? How was it, you know, talking to, you know, the recruiter, then possibly a panel. I'm not sure if you went through a panel and then the hiring manager. I've been through a couple of interviews where I, I think I've met almost like someone from every different, different uh, department in the company. And how, how was, how was your uh, in-person interviews? I did a lot of in-person interviews. I actually do, let's say I do interview without actually job searching all the time. Like I go through, like, I like to learn more about Facebook, how they work. I went through their interview process just to learn more about them. So interviews is not always for you to get a job. It's kind of a two-way situation, especially when you go on site. They're learning about you as a candidate and you're learning about them as, as a company. So I went through a lot of, you know, fan companies interviews, startups interviews, because I wanted to see what they're doing. I wanted to see what's their mindset is i wanted also i wanted to learn how to interview people on, on on the company that i work at and learn from different companies what their approaches are so on-site interviews i guess my biggest advice is to be yourself like be honest and be yourself and don't try to stress out because you're not losing something just try to like Think that I know it's so hard, but what I tell myself is just think that you are in the office with your colleagues and trying to brainstorm something. Um, it takes a while to get used to that. I remember myself when I was out of college, first time on-site interviews was so scary. I was like shaking internally when I was answering questions. 
But by time, if we just tell ourselves and we gain more confidence as we grew in our career, so that those on-site interviews get easier for us. But just don't think too much out of it because you're not losing something. You know, if imagine if you lost Facebook right now, there are millions of other companies out there. We have a lot of companies and a lot of startups that you can try your chance. And always know that if you're not getting a job, maybe that's not good for you. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that you are not a fit. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe that company doesn't fit you. It doesn't mean that you are not a fit. This is, um, so we always go back in ourselves and say, hey, something wrong with me because I haven't got this job. It's my fault, but not, it's not your fault. Um, especially during on-site interview, the first impression is so important. Because you see like the interviewer come to the room and look at you and that first impression is, I guess it's 80% set the result in that person's brain. It's, it's all about our decision-making, how our brain works. Our brain decision-making is just think and feel and make decision. And it's just a one step. And when you go to a room and look at the person, you think you feel and you feel and that feeling aspect is really high. And you make a decision right away in your brain about that person. And it is a sad story in our industry, but our interviews is also so much biased. And people may not like you just because of you, how you look like, you know? So if you are on an on-site interview, these are going to happen. People may not like you sometimes. People may think like the way you talk is not, doesn't gonna like match their team co communications and things like that. So it's not always about you. Sometimes it's just the way people make decisions and the way we are biased, even myself. When I go to an interview room, I tell myself that like I am biased. So being aware as an interviewer that you're biased because we are all humans and we are all biased can help you later on make you know decisions that is based on facts, not feelings. But you know, not all the companies can be like that. Not all the people will do the same thing. So on-site interviews, mostly first impression matters a lot. How you talk to that person, how you make that person to really be comfortable talking to you. You know, um, when I give advice to people going to an inside, make that person feel like you're his or her friend. You know, the, in that onside, in that like 30 minutes, you need to be able to communicate in a way that that person feel comfortable working with you. And that's a whole goal. Because I saw it in onside interviews that even the technical doesn't go well. But just because people think this person is the person we want to work with, this, this person would be the person I want to come to work every day and talk to him and solve problems with him because I am working with him very comfortably, that will pass the interview. So in that time that you have when you are on onsite, try to communicate and try to make that person feel comfortable don't ask weird questions that make the interviewer uncomfortable. Try to smile a lot, you know. Um, try to sit very comfortably. You don't need to like sit very straight and sharp, you know, we make that person very uncomfortable. Um, but not to 
go to that high end of being comfortable that, you know, you just <laughs> put your leg on the chair and sit, you know, just be like in the moderate way of like be feeling comfortable and talking to that person in a way that that person also is feeling that you're the one he's go, she is going to work with on the team and you fit their team perfectly. Definitely. I, I love the body language, what you just said. You know, it's all about body language, too. They're not just hearing the words that are coming out of you, but they're also watching your body language. You know, they're, they're watching, they're, they're observing everything and how you act and, and how you answer and how your body is. Um, now, you, you, you touched on communication. And I feel like, you know, as beginning recruiters i think our fear is being able to talk tech with an engineer or with someone who is an expert in their field and where we are not so much how do you like what do you look for in regards to like recruiters or someone that you talk to that's not from your field um is there anything that you know, you want them to learn more about, or is there a way for us to talk to you where we can actually understand or, or may not come off as, you know, like we don't know what we're talking about. I guess in my perspective, I never expect my recruiter to know anything technical. Um, I, my expectation from the person I've worked with to find a job is first of all, that person has an empathy, you know, be empathetic to the, to the person who's looking for the job be aware of the requirements that he or she is looking, you know, be aware of the situation and try to connect that job searcher with whoever that can help him understand better about the technical part. So the recruiter doesn't necessarily need to answer technical questions because then the recruiter can be the middle connection to someone from the company who can help that person understand the technical part. Um, and then it depends on which phase of the interview. Like if I'm a job searcher and I haven't even a screen a company, I'm not going to like come up with like a lot of technical questions. And companies also have to do a better job providing recruiters with a set of technical requirements for that job. So the recruiter doesn't need to really, you know, pick up and um, pick up technical stuff and talk to the, talk to the job searcher. Um, I personally think the perfect way to find a job to actually talk to people who work on that team to understand the technical. I never expect my recruiter to come and explain what that, that team does because the recruiter never knew actually what the team is working on, what they're doing, what's the dynamics. What I do, I always ask my recruiters to set up a time to go for an informal meeting in the company. That's one thing I always leverage them for. And I think that's a brilliant idea. I learned it from one of my friends, um, but I always set up, set up like a very informal time with, with the hiring manager or with whoever is available for me. Sometimes it's a team. I, they, they get me to the company. I love to see the dynamics of the company. How's the office look like? How people communicate in the office? How they're talking to each other? Um, is, it, is it quiet? Is it busy? You know, the interactions there. And then I like to talk to people who I'm going to work with. So I guess the recruiter here is, is the source that, that the job searchers can use to, to find their way and get the information. And recruiters can help them actually to achieve and find those information instead of they will be the source to provide that information. Because I feel that would be so unfair to on a recruiter to be able to answer everything about the job. 
And I mean, granted, if if the recruiter does take that step and actually learn more about you know the technical aspect of it, hey, that's that that makes that recruiter that much you know that much better. But I I I, I love the I love the answer. Thank you so much. Um, what? So it seems like you're you're just you're knowledgeable on just not just en- like you know your um, computer science and engineering but also on the negotiation and the communication um what are your steps that you do in regards to networking what are, are you said earlier that you do visit like these um social gatherings i guess network gatherings are you doing anything else I always try to be active in the industry I work at because I, I personally am very outgoing person. I love to talk to people. I love to learn. Um, I was in a position in my previous company that I used to work for that I had to make technical decisions and sometimes learning that what other companies do can really help shape your decisions or you can learn from different companies and their approaches. Um, I highly recommend any engineer to network and I feel like this is my personal honest feeling. I feel like the job searching in a traditional way is kind of fading away, especially if you grow out in your career. It would be more into, hey, I know that person. I know that person going to fit this role. It's, it's turning more to that way. That's, that's what I feel. And like I work at Netflix. We do have recruiters. And recruiters doesn't find candidates. They actually, hiring managers find candidates. And then when we find a candidate, then the recruiters come work with the candidate to hire them and take them through the interview process. Um, So I guess like I see the industry is shaping that way that we find people that we think they fit in the team based on our networking, based on, you know, where we meet those people. Netflix really active going to events, even our recruiters, you can find them in each and every conferences. They go there, they deeply talk about, they talk to people, they get their information. I never knew when I talked to the hiring manager, he wrote my email down in a spreadsheet and reached out to me two years later. Um, That was weird to me, but that was also very thoughtful of the recruiters who work there, who actually collect the data. And things like, hey, I met this person. It was a great fit for the company. Maybe not today, but maybe later in the future. Let's write that down. So being active in the industry as a recruiter, going to conferences, talk to people, see how, how, there's, how they're communicating, see if this person is really a high performer. And if yes, well, she or he going to get a job very fast and easy. And I kind of can reach out to her in the future or reach out to him. If I have a job openings as a recruiter, I think it's crucial now that we network. And there is many ways. Now we have Zoom networking. Isn't it better? You don't even need to go anywhere, right? <laughs> you can just network on the Zoom. And uh, it is crucial to know, to know people. And we also learn from them. It's always a two-way communication. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to open up the floor for questions from our viewers here. And I believe the first question I have here is from Christiani. Christiani, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Uh, hi, uh, Nazinan. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, yes. Uh, so you mentioned that you apply to 100 plus jobs and you heard uh, maybe from 50 
around that 50 mark and you ended up getting like three offers during this process how did you deal with you know that feeling of rejection I don't know if you had that feeling but you know when you don't hear from you know all of the people that you apply for a job sometimes you get that feeling that uh, why they didn't reach out you know what I'm talking about yes and uh, also how did that, that affect your confidence level I guess it is it's always hard to feel rejected so no one's gonna feel happy about it uh, but it's even harder to you know when you're applying for a job because then you will blame yourself all the time but i guess personally i am a very positive person i'm in life like that so maybe that helped me going through this because i always look at the bright side sometimes it's great sometimes it's not good but i try to look at the bright side so i was like okay this company x rejected me off my list because I had only one and one goal to get one job. And if I could get that one job, it didn't matter which company, I, I, was, I was good about it. So try to have the end goal in your mind and know that rejections is not about you because I knew I did my best. I knew I studied hard. I knew I did my best. I knew I could, couldn't do anything different in that interview. And that's why I wasn't sad about it. I was like, I did my best. And if they don't like me or if they don't think I, I don't fit in the position, that's okay. I will find a place that I think we both agree that I will fit in that company and I can grow. So knowing that you're not the problem and if you do your best and know that you did your best, I guess you're not going to feel guilty about rejection. And that's how I actually managed to grow you know, and how I actually managed to go through all those rejections because I knew I did my best and I couldn't have done something different. I see. Thank you. So knowing uh, that you did your best and re remaining positive, that's like the main components and uh, to feel good that, you know, even though you didn't hear from these companies, you, you still did what you could, right? Yes. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it was my fault. Like I had an experience I never forget. I did once interview at Facebook and I did pass all the questions. And there was a question which is simplest possible question that you can ask someone. I failed in that one because I focus so much on complex stuff and I forget about the simplest possible questions. And I didn't answer the question and I failed. And after that, I know I lost the job, which was fine. And I know it's my fault. So I wasn't guilty because I know I haven't studied that part. But I put all my effort to learn that topic. Because one thing that the interview tell you is also your weaknesses and your strengths. So you figure out what you don't know from the interviews. So look at it at a bright side if a company comes with a rejection because you haven't answered this or because you're not strong enough in this topic. Then you will get to know what you have to focus on and grow more. And that's actually an opportunity, not a rejection. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, to look at the, you know, weaknesses during interviews as actually an opportunity. Thank you so much. Of course, Kristen. And the next question comes from Joshua. Go ahead. Hello, Nazanin. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, I think you answered uh, most of this question in the, in the previous um, answer, but... 
I guess broadly speaking, um, you mentioned going through a lot of ups and downs of your career and your journey. Um, how do you deal with or push through those downs? So I guess a more broader scope. Yeah, I guess um, being in ups and downs for me was, it's kind of, let me explain what I meant by that, is more of like positions and, you know, really like changing a lot of positions. I, I was a back end and then I moved to front end. So when I was a back end engineer, I was like at senior level, but then I went to front end engineer, start being day one junior from scratch. I guess that was kind of a down for me, but I knew that I'm learning. I knew I'm not losing something because I was adding to my knowledge. I was learning. I was growing. I feel it's okay if you are a senior and going to a junior position or if you're going from the scratch and picking up a new thing or a new career, as long as you're growing, you're not losing anything. For me, losing is when I am actually subtle and I'm not learning in a job. I, I feel like I am actually going backward. For me, my job is like I go up and up and up and up and here, and I reach a point in my, in my job that I feel like I'm no longer learning. Mm -hmm. And then that's a time that I look for another job, you know, or I look for another opportunity in my current job. Um, I actually write a whole blog post about all my career experience and like ups and downs and all of the things I went through. And then like there is a framework that you can follow when you hit those points and then like asking yourself certain questions and following up this framework can really help you. I don't know we have time to go through such framework right now, but I can actually share the link with Carlos later on to share with you. Oh my gosh. Yes. That'd be extremely helpful. So like kind of just reframing your mind to have that growth mindset and that learning mindset to kind of like, you know, not really focus so much on like, I guess just the black and white of winning and losing, but more of like, you know, are you really pushing yourself and developing yourself and learning more? Um, yes. And you know, I, one of my always recommendations and you know, one thing I always tell people that your growth is not bound to a company. It's mm -hmm. not bound to today company or to tomorrow company or yesterday company. Your mm -hmm. growth is bound to you. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're growing, even if it's outside the company, if it is something that's not related to your job, mm -hmm. it is your growth. It is that's that's the growth that's gonna get you the next better job. Mm -hmm. You know? So if I'm a back-end engineer today and I'm picking up front end on the side. Although I'm not growing in my current job, but that is still going to help me later on find another job. Mm -hmm. um, so always focus on yourself because if you are making yourself growing, you're getting a better career going on. Don't work for the company. Don't grow solely for the company, but grow for yourself and your personal goals. Where you want to be in 10 years from now, you know, mm -hmm. what type of a skill you want to have, what type of field you want to be in, mm -hmm. um, not for the company specifically. Yeah. So take your learning and make it more like selfish and internal for yourself. I completely agree with that. And you know, that growth and learning mindset has something I've always been trying to work towards. So um, I appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Daniel. Hello. Thank you for coming and speaking with us. I'm actually currently taking a, a Python coding class. I go to UC Davis and it's probably been the hardest class of my life. So I definitely respect all the coding that you have to do. 
Um, my question is basically asking um, if you or if you know anyone that has done a technical interview before and kind of giving some insight on how to go about that. I know a lot of technical interviews, at least for my CS friends, they usually go really horribly wrong because they're not really able to like complete the task on time. But I just wanted to kind of gain some insight on like how uh, engineers, when they're technical interviewing someone and how they kind of go about that process. So from engineering side or from the interviewer side, there is always a set of questions that a company gonna use. And that's all, that's all the time like that. Because as an engineer, I don't get time to go and bring a new question all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Or there is a pool of questions that we go to the website and we use these questions to ask the interviewers. So my recommendation is social engineer the company know who you are interviewing with and go find out there's a lot of websites that people actually go there and say what they've asked us recently. Mm. Um, you can, first of all, start practicing those questions that you find on the internet. Mm. Um, when you're done with practicing and you feel comfortable, then you start practicing questions similar to those. You go like higher difficult or similar to those topics. For technical questions, usually companies or tech companies ask algorithms, but not all of them. Again, you have to ask recruiters, and I think recruiters here can play an important role, you know, telling the engineer what they have to study for. Because there is so many topics that out there that you can study from, especially in computer science, so vast. So ask your recruiter, what are they gonna ask me? What's the expectation for this technical interview and what I have to study? They usually have recommendations on like set of topics that you have to cover so you know where the questions are coming from. Mm -hmm. And then a study for technical interviews is important if the interview is on a computer, you'll be able to code before that on the computer, try to solve like 10, 20, you know, as much as makes you comfortable and put yourself in a like mock interview um, there's a lot of websites like interview cake is one which is really nice it has a lot of technical interview questions and it tells you like how many times this company asked these questions like they rate it based on like how many times they ask it so you know like oh my god like this question has been heavily asked so I'm gonna focus on those questions that heavily ask in the industry and then you can code with any language you can choose Python JavaScript Java C++ um, you can leverage these websites. I know Interview Cake was the one I, I actually practiced sometime. There's Lead Code that's very famous nowadays and people practice um, for algorithms. And there's a lot of like different, these kind of websites. Geeks for Geeks, there is one. Um, there is also Career Cup. That's a website that has all the questions certain companies recently asked and people post there. So I went to Facebook interview, I go there and post what they ask me. Um, if you interviewing for a specific company that people really interview a lot there, like like big company or known company, you can also go and find out the questions they're asking people and then practice those first. So practice, 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 practice known questions first. Um, don't just open it like a 500 page algorithm book and start from beginning because that's, that's not the way that you should go for a technical. Practice those pool questions that companies have and they, they usually ask you. Um, then I went for a Google question, a Google interview. I went to Career Cup and I only solved all of those questions there. 
because I didn't have time to study more. And two of my technical interview questions was those questions. Mm. So um, it were many times that this instance happened to me because companies have that pool of questions that they go through. Um, if you need more advice, you can reach out to me directly and I would be happy to help you more. Of course. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Definitely. Like as I've been taking my CS class, I spend about like 12 hours a week on it. So definitely, it definitely makes sense to continually practice those type of skills. Thanks. I'm actually on career cup right now and it's amazing. <laughs> I, love it. It. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I know. Okay. So the last question we have, uh, comes from Robert and I'll be asking it uh, for him. Um, he says, cause his mic doesn't work. Uh, earlier it was mentioned a great deal of applying to jobs. What has been your process for following up with hiring managers or recruiters? I can say if the company is really interested for with you, you know, and they, they have a good process, you don't need to follow up that often. You know, I, I never had an instance that I had to run behind a hiring manager or a recruiter for a job. I guess I was lucky. Maybe I, I worked with really good hiring managers and really great recruiters. They were like very proactive. Even they reach out to me constantly. They were asking follow-up questions. Um, they would ask how I feel about this company. So I never had an instance that I had to really run for a recruiter, but I kind of get a signal when, when someone doesn't reach out to me that something is wrong uh, or this company is not really the place I like to work with because I really pay attention to how people communicate with each other and interact and for me it's so important. Um, you can always send a follow-up emails. I think email is a really good way of communication. If, if the company hasn't reached out to you or if the recruiter hasn't reached out to you. And when you interview, when you're done with the interview, ask them how long does it take to get the response? Because sometimes your expectation is also too high. Maybe you think you have to get a response in two days, but the recruiter haven't called you and it's four days. But you don't know that it will take up to 15 days until they come with a decision. So ask about how long it takes to come up with a decision or how long does it take to go to the next step from your recruiter or your hiring manager so you won't be in doubts. But it's always okay to follow up. It's always okay to send emails. But if you send like four or five emails and there is nothing coming out of the company, then it's better like to just move on. Don't stuck to that recruiter or company. Move on within your job search and let's see what happens. I don't recommend sending more than two follow-up emails. Perfect. And, and that's actually a question of mine now, if you don't mind. Um, when is it appropriate or is it even appropriate to ask for feedback from your, from your interview, uh, from your interviewers? Uh, I, I've asked for feedback and I've never got it. So I'm not sure if it's an appropriate thing to ask or, or they just never got back to me. I personally love people who ask for feedback. Uh, it shows that that person values personal growth. It's, it's a sign that that person has a self-awareness and want to learn more about himself or herself. So it's a good sign when you ask for feedback, you show that you are valuing yourself and your skills and you want to learn more. 
Um, so never shy away from asking feedback. I interviewed places that, you know, they, they just, in their process, they never give you any feedback. They just send you an email, say, hey, you know, um, sorry, but, you know, we couldn't offer you an offer letter with this job, blah, 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 because there is no feedback, because maybe there was an internal hire who filled the position and they have no feedback about you. Um, some companies doesn't really care, and that is a signal for me all the time. Do I want to work there? If they don't care about my personal growth, if they don't know how I did in this interview, because they should have some sort of a feedback for me. Um, some companies like Netflix, like they call you a day after only a feedback call. And it was so funny when I got that call, I found that's a rejection call because I got a call from my hiring manager. It was going through my interview and talking about, you know, you did this way here. This is how I, how that person felt about you. You know, this is how a strong part of your interview were. And I was like, have I lost a job? Is that like a done feedback? And it was like, no, we give this to every, you know, every engineer who comes to interview here. You haven't lost a job. You actually got the job. <laughs> I was like, okay. But yeah, I, I really appreciate companies who actually put time because when someone feedback you, it means that person really invested in, you you know they put their time they analyzed and they really cared about you and when the company really cares about you to send you that piece of feedback that's really valuable for me it's like the signal hey i want to work there because they value me definitely and I, and i love that and i really wish that more companies can pick that up because as a person like yourself i want to know what what I'm doing, you know, like is what I'm doing right with, am I doing wrong? Like, am, how am I making someone feel? Because for me, feedback is, is really important. And I preach, thank you so much for the answer. Um, if anyone else has any questions, feel free to ask right now. If not, I'm going to hand it off to Naz to plug herself in. I know she says she, she mentioned she has a, a blog and I actually went on her blog a little bit. And so I, Naz, whatever you're doing on the side, you know, work-wise, please let us know uh, how we can get in touch with you. Uh, what are you currently doing? Please take, please take your time. I am so happy to be here today. You actually made my afternoon. It was very refreshing to talk to you all. Um, I will send you my link tree. Right now, I'm actually finding it, which has all my social media accounts and any way that you can connect with me that's my link tree so you can just find all the information there i am a very i can say multi-interest person um i i love a lot of different things so always in my career i pick up a lot of different topics like one reason that I am so interested in software skills, negotiations, communication, or one reason I could grow myself and develop myself into these skills, because I am so interested in psychology and human interaction. I actually got a master's in cognitive science before my master in computer science, because I was always a fan of, you know, how our brain works and how we communicate, how we make a decision. And I always pick up a lot of topics on the side. So now I am reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell books. 
and a couple of other psychology books during this quarantine. I think it's a great time to read books because we can't go out much. Um, <laughs> I am also getting addicted to masterclass. I feel it's amazing. I don't know if you guys know masterclass, but they have courses from the best and brightest of each field. You can find in photography, cooking, communication, even makeup, design, um, scientific thinking, um, a lot of different courses they have that I highly recommend Masterclass. It took a lot of my, you know, spare time at home. So I try to take courses and learn about different things. I'm actually picking up some cooking because my cooking is not that good. <laughs> it shouldn't always be, you know, you shouldn't always take things which is related to your job because we always want to do different things. And believe me, when you take a purely different topic that what you do every day, your brain actually starts to shape and grow more. So if I take front-end course right now, my brain doesn't really get shocked because I work with it every day. But then I go and take a totally different topic, a totally different direction, and I try to learn. It actually makes me a better engineer. And I don't know if you guys heard about T-shaped engineers. Um, it's a really nice topic. There are a lot, of, a lot of articles about it. But that's something I want to see all the engineers to be T-shaped. And that means that as you see the letter T, uh, the, uh, the block or, or the base would be the depth of your knowledge. Like if you are an engineer, then you have a depth of knowledge in engineering, like programming and things like that. But you also need to have the breadth of the knowledge. And that breadth can be colorful, it can be anything, it can be psychology, it can be cooking, it can be painting, it can be drawing. And believe me, those those breath gonna shape the depth and when you code and when you when you actually do program those things you learned can really help you in your day-to-day -day job although it's a breath of learning but that you can think out of the box because you you have exposed yourself to out of the box topics so that's a really nice t-shape engineering is a really nice thing and as recruiters i see recruiters actually look for t-shape engineers nowadays even more like they ask me about my hobbies they ask about what do you do on the side they want to know the breadth of your engineer in in addition to the depths of your knowledge i love it i love it and i really and like once again thank you so much for blessing us with uh, your time and your knowledge I really hope we can get you back on in the future and we can, cause I'm sure there's probably going to be way more questions, but please give her a follow. Uh, she, she has a blog on medium, uh, her Instagram, her LinkedIn, uh, Naz is full of knowledge and I really appreciate Aww. it. I am definitely going to be, uh, uh, messaging you, uh, for, for some coaching here in the future. Thank you, Carlos. I'm, I always like knowledge. I think that knowledge is so vast that you know, I'm always not knowing something, but I will be happy to connect with all of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Chasing Unicorns, Jenny, for reaching out to me, and Ray for following up. I really appreciate that. I'm so honored to be here today, and I wish you have a great rest of your day. You too, and have a great weekend, and try to stay cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm really warm. Right now. <laughs> I have to get going. Okay. Take <laughs> Bye, care. Guys. Have a good night. Thank you. You too.